Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. And up next, answers to listener questions about running efficiency, nose breathing, and biosensors. And after that, world of running updates about the crazy Berlin Marathon and USATF racing. We're answering your questions today, which means if you have questions, you missed your chance for today, but we'll do it again soon. And so always ask questions because we love sharing thoughts, whether on the podcast or we'll respond directly to you as well. But you can ask those questions anytime by going to a2zrunning.com slash question or find us on all the socials where you can find us. I was able to respond directly to some questions from someone that I talked to at the auto show. We share a lot in common, both in the auto industry and also love to run. So shout out to Jennifer. We've talked about running before, but we were able to dive into some questions about her race and chat about running. You know, I love it. And of course, automotive industry. So two of my favorite things. (laughs) It was really fun. You love the automotive industry? I do. It's so fun. It's innovative. There's always things that are changing and I love it. It's big really cars big. with big engines. Also slim cars fast. with electrified. Yeah, not train. as exciting, but okay. It's, all right. It's well. exciting. But I wanted to also say good luck to Jennifer at the Detroit half marathon coming oh, up here soon. Coming soon. Mm-hmm. Good luck. That's a fun one. We've, we've been there a fair bit and enjoyed those races quite a bit or <laughs> been there and not had the greatest races as well because we've run it enough times that you know, he has. You know, I haven't. <laughs> when you, do, you did a few Detroit races, relays or something. Well, I did a relay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. When we used to be on Belle Isle, I think it's changed. It's no longer part of the race well, You don't anymore. run on the island anymore? That's what my friend Kim told oh, me. Bummer. Because she was, ran it last year and was podiumed. So. Well done. Okay. Yeah. So if you haven't noticed, Andy's back. Yay. I'm back. Welcome back. This is the last time you're going to hear from her in a while, <laughs> but- we're always glad, and you are just so thrilled to not have to listen to Zach only yet again. Because yeah. I'll find a way, though, to join the podcast in the coming weeks, I so hope you so. don't have to worry. All right. Well, speaking of worry, actually, I guess that has nothing to do with what I was about to say, because you're not worried when you ask us questions. Uh, more, you're seeking wisdom mm-hmm. and wanting to thrive, which, which is, is why it's interesting that you ask us. But we're <laughs> kidding. We're grateful for the chance to interact directly with you because it is our favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. So let's get right to it. Several interesting questions to answer today. And we'll just see what we are at in terms of time because, you know, Zach is long winded and says far more words than are necessary to convey an idea. So hopefully... I say not too many words. We can get through all the questions. That's the goal. Starting with a question from Vegas. And this question is actually um, not, it wasn't exactly sent uh, to be answered on air. So Vegas, thanks for letting us answer it on air. But the principle of the matter here is uh, this is a kind of just a universally relatable question as so many of these things tend to be. Um, You're getting ready for a race and you're getting pretty close to the race and you start to think, Things aren't going exactly according to plan, like the way I would like them to, or I'm not feeling the way I should. Should I change things late in the game? Essentially, the question is, I've got a marathon, and it's about eight weeks away, and I'm thinking my training is not where I want it to be, so what should I do differently? And we want to answer this in two basic 
responses here, Vegas, and uh, always comes back to um, the question. The principle of this question is um, how much time do you need for something you're doing to benefit you on the race? And so that's, that, that's a question well worth answering because there's a lot of potential nuance there. Starting with certain things you do take certain amounts of time to achieve benefit. For example, strength work, which is not, not running training specifically, but strength work takes two to four weeks of regular, um, what's the consistent. regular consistency. Yeah. Uh, that's redundant, but consistent implementation. Let's say that regularly for two to four weeks to realize gains basically in any measurable sense. Um, so that means that if I'm doing a new core workout, uh, I need two to four weeks of doing that two or three times a week before it's going to make a difference for me. So that's like strength work type of stuff, which arguably is some of the most immediate benefit. So now you're getting a sense of our response here. Two to four weeks is some of the soonest you will see benefits of things you're doing with one exception. And that's neuromuscular types of stuff, which you can see a benefit as soon as the moment you're doing it, those things can be valuable. So that was the, my first response here to you, Vegas, is um, some of those changes in the way you're integrating intensities and how those workouts uh, are being implemented can have immediate benefit and definitely can be valuable eight weeks later for a goal race. I'm going to rewind just a second because... I also wonder what makes you think that your training isn't going well. And maybe that was a backstory that you and Vegas actually discussed. But I do think sometimes when we're eight weeks out and we're still in conditioning and we're tired, we might feel like we're not making progress. Yeah. If so you're in the thick of it. The context here was things seem to have been going backwards for a little while, not just not making progress, but actually going backwards. And my first question about that, whenever you're in a season and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm implementing training and I feel like I'm actually like getting worse the more I train. Um, one of the questions there is how are you progressing in terms of training? Because it does happen that people do go backward. And so w when we were deliberating a little bit more behind the scenes, that was one of the things that came to light is um, whenever you follow a training plan that's progressively building throughout the entire plan, and so you basically, the idea here is you build for 12 weeks, have your like kind of your, your big week, and then you taper for a few weeks and then you race. Um, in general, those kinds of training plans yield uh, lower levels of adaptations over time, but also they can produce this effect where, because every week you're adding, every week you're adding more or adding more intensity and more volume, um, that, can, that can be very difficult to sustain. Even if the total amount of volume is something that you could endure, the fact that you're adding to it every week, if you start building up some fatigue, we've talked in the past, I think it was actually the last time we answered some listener questions, mm. we talked about how fatigue is cumulative. Mm, yeah. And so if you're accumulating fatigue and not fully recovered, and then each week you just keep adding to that, that's a piece of this puzzle. Mm -hmm. Now, the second part that we mentioned is so it's certain amounts of time for things to take effect and then certain types of things that are more valuable and less valuable in late stages. So the neuromuscular piece is always a guaranteed you're going to get some benefit from doing that in, in a better way, depending on whatever you're doing currently. But the second layer is 
volumes of running achieve two benefits for you. One is energy system, and the other is musculoskeletal. The musculoskeletal, much like the strength training we just discussed, takes two to four weeks to start realizing the benefits of a thing you're doing right now. So yes, uh, training load eight weeks out from the race matters, and it matters quite a bit for the next four weeks minimum. Um, the next six weeks, probably. And so that's why when you start hearing conversations around tapers, most of the time you'll hear tapering for two to four weeks. Um, we say two weeks. Other people say up to four weeks. But the principle here is if you start tapering longer than two weeks out, you're then reducing training effect um, fairly substantially because the training you're doing right now takes two to four weeks you know, to realize benefits. So you're, tapering not being part of the question here, but the point is, um, you have time still, eight weeks out, for musculoskeletal gains. The final element is, does my energy system benefit from things I'm doing right now for a race eight weeks away? And that answer is not quite as much because eight weeks is not a ton of time to see notable gains in like aerobic energy system work. But in this instance, because you're coming off of already doing training you're not coming from zero like i was just hurt or had surgery and for nine months i was off and now i want to race in eight weeks that's a different question than i've been training for the last 10 weeks but i need to change something so yes by adjusting things you can see some better energy system gains than you were seeing in what you were doing um, but that's not necessarily the area where you're going to achieve the most gains in that amount of time and also remember what things allow for you to show your fitness. So if you're not getting good nutrition, if you're not getting good sleep, those are great things to really hone in those last eight weeks. That could be substantial. I mean, depending on what your lifestyle is like, if you're able to dial that in, there are things that can give you help um, in achieving a greater performance in eight weeks, things that you can focus on that can help you besides your training. That's good. It's very true. All right. Well, thank you for the question, Vegas. Yeah. Much appreciated. Next up is a question from Doug. Do you want to read it? Sure. Do you feel that for adult runners, I'm 46, deliberate work that is neuromuscular in nature can help reduce injuries? Items that are hip, glute, calf specifically that may reveal themselves when faster, more race-specific work is stacked? By the way, I bought Running Rewired based on your discussions. Oh. Thanks for all you do. Doug. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Doug. We like that book. It's a good one. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple parts to your question, we believe here. Now, for anyone who's listening right now and didn't hear the last couple episodes when we were talking about the neuromuscular work, I don't know exactly when those episodes were. It was two episodes ago. Okay. So mm -hmm. sometime in the last several episodes, um, you should listen to those because it'll provide further explanation of the things we're going to say. In and if you don't know what we're question. talking about, it's the work for your mind body connection. Yeah. And it's specific, like in drills, things of that nature that are going to help you functional movement, doing exercises. Um, those all help you to have better neuromuscularity. Yeah. So neurological, like mental control over your body is movements. Mm hmm and there's a couple of layers to that. So when you talk about neuromuscular, you're talking about recruitment, which is like getting certain things to do the things they're supposed to do. Um, you're also talking about 
maximum contraction and things like that. So getting them to do to the degree that you want them to do. So those are the two layers. And also proprioception, so knowing your body is in space and and also how it fires in your kinetic chain. So not just like the one muscle individually, which it can start there, but then building it to help your body work together more properly. Yeah. So that's, that's what I meant by recruitment. You're just better at explaining it than me. So as as we answer your question, Doug, then it, the answer, the short answer is because you ask, um, can it help? Yes. Short answer is yes. Uh, neuromuscular development definitely helps reduce injuries. Um, there is conversation around, but can it also cause injuries? And the answer there is yes, because if you change anything about your running in any kind of extreme way, then it it risks things like injuries and disruptions. And so if you do a whole bunch of neuromuscular work um, and try to change the way you run and then go run a marathon, that's not always a good idea. So this is the kind of stuff that we suggest beginning to do at the beginning stages of a season or in an off season time. But the point here is um, you've got, you, you've got a couple different considerations involved in this. Um, why does this help reduce injuries? And how can you do it, the things that would help reduce injuries? So keep in mind that when we talk about this development, we're talking about that movement efficiency piece, which has to do with all the things that Andy was describing, muscle recruitment as pieces of it as well. And then we're also talking about increased stability and coordination, um, which involves things like m muscle contraction and degrees of that, as well as things like the proprioception. And I think Doug and I have gone back and forth before and he's run a long time. And so I think part of the question also could be like, he's already a developed runner. Mm -hmm. He's not a young runner who doesn't have maybe some of the, the coordination yet. He likely does have some of that. And I think also some of us think, can we really change that much now that we've been doing thousands and thousands of miles running without thinking about our wiring? And we can, we can change those things and I, we can continually progress towards better efficiency. So I think in that regard to his question, yes, it can even help even as developed runners. Yes. Um, and any small change can have a big positive impact. And that's one of the things that DeSherry in that book, we just mentioned running rewired. That's one of the things he underscores is He'll take an athlete and he'll change one small thing about how the athlete's running and some major chronic issue that's been present for a long time is gone, right? Because of one small adjustment. Um, so we can't underscore too heavily the importance of how these things can benefit us, but the challenge in ensuring we do them in such a way that they benefit us, it's a little bit trickier. Um, and it should be noted too, by the way, that there is a counter argument to all of this, which is that idea of like, well, the, the body is highly adaptive. And so if I'm not moving in quote, the most efficient way possible, that my body will adjust and then it'll still find a good, you know, rhythm for me. And in, in one sense, it's true. The body is highly adaptive and can do that. At the same time, it also exacerbates the problem because it's, it's a cascading effect. My body adapts to this overly tight hamstring situation I have and or the fact that I'm not firing my glutes while I'm running, right, which probably re results in an overly tight hamstring. But so if if that's the case, then over time, so my body will adjust to that and my low back or my hamstrings will overexert because they're having to compensate. And I might be able to still endure that and survive that. But as my hamstrings overly exert, then it's probably going to cause some issues with my hip flexors. 
And over time, that's going to cascade. So the point is your body does adapt, but these things almost always manifest more and more the longer the compensations are happening. And you might not notice any issues for the first five years. And then the next 10 years, you're not going to be able to run. You know, so that's that's the that's the trade-off of the mindset of, well, just let the body do and it'll it'll adapt and figure it out. I was able to avoid my bilateral hip labrum repair and train to qualify for Olympic trials because I was able to better fire all the muscles surrounding because I had had a problem with recruitment. And when something is injured, it also shuts things down a bit too. So waking things up and getting things all to work surrounding an injured area can really benefit you. I'm using this as an example because it was huge. I went for, I, I was able to run the best race of my life with tears both in the mile and in the marathon from true the range so i'm just that what now I, that's now that's to say andy said she was able to avoid that was temporarily right because <laughs> she still had the surgery i had eventually. the surgery because i yeah. had flare-ups but the power of getting everything to fire and i'd still run i'd still run improperly <laughs> fairly well before that but I needed to have these things that became a requirement for me in order to be able to run healthily, um, as healthy as I could, at least. So it's possible to delay the inevitable is kind of the point. Uh, no, but what what we're talking about here then is um, when things are doing what they're supposed to be doing, then the balance of workload and the balance of um, exertion is... Uh, more there's more harmony and so things are going to then be able to you know you think about it like this certain parts of your body are built best for certain functional dynamics and if they're not upholding that functional dynamic something else has to compensate it's not built to hold that dynamic in the same way and it causes problems almost every single time so the second layer of your question doug was um what about like with the faster work does it help with that type of stuff race specificity you mentioned and 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 here the answer of course is um the faster you go faster work and the longer you go so those two elements of maximum capacity if we were saying maximum capacity both in speed and distance um faster you go the more things are involved so the the level of muscle recruitment and um and kinetic chain engagement is very valuable and the longer you go the more things fatigue in which case, similarly, the more involved other areas are and the more important things like stability and coordination are so that things fatigue in the way that they should you know, in a proper degree and order. And that's why we do recommend that people do faster work, even if you are running for the pure enjoyment and for health. And I'm kind of taking a little sidestep here to the exact question here beyond performance goals, if we just want to run to be with our friends and for health and enjoyment, it's still a great idea to still do faster running for your neuromuscular work and to get that recruitment. Yeah. Among the many other things that we suggested in the neuromuscular episode, yeah. do all the stuff because it's worth it. So thank you for the question, Doug. Yeah. Appreciate thanks, it. Doug. Now, this one here is from Lorenda. She's asked some questions before, and I can appreciate that it is, it's, a, it's a different one. We've never answered a question, I don't think, on breathing. I don't think so either. So, 
here's the question. Mouth versus nose breathing. Is one more efficient than the other? Does it depend on effort of the run? And then, for example, if I'm running easy, should I focus on nose breathing at that time? Uh, always feels a little more difficult with a harder effort. Or is it uh, perhaps I shouldn't? Am I going too hard if I can't breathe steadily through my nose? Ah, interesting. Okay, so that's the question. Thank you, Lorenda, for asking. Short answer, you shouldn't try to coerce breathing in any sense. Um, so you'll hear all sorts of things. Actually, it's uh, Daniel's running formula has an entire section on breathing and breathing rhythms and talks about like, yeah, you know, that's like two to three, you know, inhale for two, exhale for three or exhale for two, inhale for three, whatever it is, one to one, two to two. And like, they've got all of this stuff. And I've, I've talked to people who have like talked about the breathing rhythms and it's like, yeah, um, just do the thing that you, that your body most naturally does. <laughs> That's going to be best. I realize that there are some people in the camp that really focus on, on this. And I think that the benefits that can happen are regulating your breathing and not breathing, like having shallow breaths where you're maybe more frantic or maybe you're not open or maybe you're hunched and you're not getting full breaths. And it does, if you think about getting a full breath, it does help you in your posture for running, which we have discussed numerous times is important. But there is a camp of people that do focus on on nose breathing. What we have found, and we actually talked to Dr. Todd Buckingham about this, that focusing and forcing nose breathing can backfire on runners. Well, because you get less oxygen. You get less air through your nose and through your mouth. And so in any situation when you have less air and you're trying to exert physically, you're giving your your muscles less fuel. So wh what do you want to do? I mean, do you want to reduce the amount of oxygen to your blood and fuel to your muscles? Um, if so, you could certainly nose breathe. Uh, there is fundamentally no increased benefit to you to breathe through your nose, except for that it is true that your throat dries out less when you breathe through your nose. But otherwise, you're not gaining anything in terms of like physiological value to do that. For performance but it does help calm people down and things like that. So it does. Yeah. There's oh, for breathing methods. Yes. Like to I, avoid hyperventilating. I have hyperventilated before. I'm going to put this yeah. on the podcast. Andy was a paper bag I, kind of kid. Everyone had to have a paper bag nearby. Andy, breathe into the bag. Oh. Just breathe into the bag. So I know that I have had to think about getting regulating my breathing while I'm running, but it's not just nose breathing. It's, in order to get full breaths and make sure I'm not doing shallow breathing or any kind yeah. of panic breathing. So you're going to say to us, well, hold on a second, Andy and Zach, you just spent all this time talking about it's important to find the most efficient movement patterns neuromuscularly. And then as soon as we start talking about breathing, then you say, just do whatever feels natural, which is the exact opposite of the advice you gave in the other thing. And, w and the thing we have to say to that is, well, it's not so simple as actually just do whatever feels natural, because as Andy said, there are guiding principles here the thing that is important when it comes to breathing is that you want to maintain a steady rhythm, just like with your run. Your breathing should mirror the degree of effort and the kind of running that you're doing. And if you coerce it beyond that, try to force a breathing that is unnatural for a degree of effort and rhythm that you're running, um, that's going to be a problem. And so in this situation, what you will find is um, if you're trying to run anything beyond anything less than um, 
lactate threshold and beyond. So when you get into an anaerobic state, it no longer really matters much what you're doing breathing wise because you're in an anaerobic state. So you're not doing much with oxygen anymore anyway. Um, but when you're in an anaerobic state, um, it's more of a kind of like survival mode kind of thing. But prior to that line being crossed, you need to be able to run without feeling like you're getting out of breath, like you just can't get enough oxygen. And so if you can't maintain a fairly consistent rhythm of breathing, it's sporadic or it's constantly accelerating, then you're probably overexerting yourself for the degree of effort for whatever the thing is. So that's a totally different question now that we get into. But breathing tends to be an a symptom of as opposed to a prescriptive mm. aspect of running. It's the result that happens from the effort you're giving. I personally breathe through both my nose and my mouth at the same time. And most do, by the way. And that's why when you have a cold, it kind of feels a little bit harder to breathe when you're running, even if you never thought you were breathing with your nose. So that, that tends that's to be fine. natural. Yeah. Why breathe right strips are quite helpful. I, I have been a proponent of those over the years to wear the thing so it opens up your nasal passages better. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that was the questions that we wanted to cover for today. We have a lot of exciting world of running news to get to. First up in our running updates, some A to Z runners running races. Michelle, congrats on a Berlin Marathon completion. What a race. We got more to say about the Berlin Marathon in general here, too. And Trinity as well, by the way. Congrats. Both running Berlin. Always a fun one. We'll, we'll, uh, one of these days, we'll travel for an international race, probably. Be interesting I'd like to. to see one. We, uh, we haven't ever done that. Well, so those were great. Nice job. And Dan O ran the Park to Park Half Marathon, finishing first in his age group. Congrats, Dan. But what's more significant is not only did he win his age group by about 13 and a half minutes, Wow, nicely done. Um, also, Dan said that that was his second fastest half marathon in very nearly the last decade. Oh, which that's, is, that's awesome. awesome. Nicely done. Yeah, way to go. Great. And then Daniel ran the Dirty Mitten. Well, not just ran. Ran the Dirty Mitten Duathlon. This is a gravel run, gravel ride, gravel run. That sounds like a grueling endeavor. And finished second overall. Nicely done, Daniel. Mm -hmm. And then we did want to mention, because last weekend there were a couple that we did not get to in the update. Sorry, folks. Uh, Trinity also ran the Bridge Run 10 Mile, which we mentioned a number of people in our group had run that one. And Craig ran the Des Moines, ha uh, not half, the Des Moines Full Marathon as well. As he continues his goal to run a marathon in all 50 states. Right on. Keep it up, Craig. We're back to the Berlin Marathon and talking about some stellar almost mind-boggling performances how, how how much should i say about what i think about this Andy? there's no there's no need to speculate well um i'm not going to speculate but i will certainly say what i think about it okay so the world is talking about tigis asefa's marathon world record it was huge she ran over two minutes faster than the epic bridget koski world record <laughs> that was set in chicago a few years back so over two minutes means from a 2.14.04 previous record to a 2.11.53. In the words of Let's Run on their report, she became the first woman ever to break 2.14 and 2.13 and 2.12 all hmm. in the same race. Wow. Was yeah. she on your radar? 
What do you mean she's on our radar? She won. Like, she you, won Berlin last year. So she did. Yes, in two fifteen and thirty or so. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. She's got a fast marathon time already. I think she came from the eight hundred. Is what she I was ran doing. a three and a half minute PR in this one. So that's something she did. Uh, so this is one of the one of the pieces. Asefa from Ethiopia um, has been an Olympian already in the eight hundred meters in 2016 at the age by the way of about 19 so she was a, a teenage phenom in the on the track and then had a spurt of injury for like two years she didn't really race anything at all and then came back ran her first marathon but wasn't fully healthy when she did it two yeah and then had another spurt of injuries and then last year, after that spurt of injuries, won the Berlin Marathon in 2.15, 30-something-ish. And then another spurt of injuries and didn't compete in the spring. She was, I believe, slated to run the London Marathon. Mm. Did not because she had, had some injury issues. And then came back and ran the Berlin Marathon again mm. in a three-and-a-half-minute PR over two-minute world record time now by the way we did talk about her last year when she won the berlin marathon specifically mentioning how she was able to come back from a, a substantial series of injuries okay to run yeah, an excellent mm -hmm. berlin marathon and we talked a little bit about some of the explanation from the coach as well about how this was even possible and a lot to do with just not they didn't want to race her until she was ready and so that's why it was so long between races and so that, that makes sense Mm -hmm. Enter Zach's skepticism. Oh, Zach, you don't <laughs> I have, have to, to at speculate. least say I'm not speculating. I have to at least say this. This is, for in many ways, measurable ways, this is an unprecedented dynamic here of what she has achieved. And the thing that raises the red flag for me the most is not how fast she ran, although that is insane. Um, keep in mind there are about five women who have run within four minutes of what she just did. Within four minutes, and we're talking about the best marathoners in the history of time. And yet, the thing that to me is the most concerning is how inconsistent she has been able to train over the years. Very few years has she run since 2016 without injury. Very few. And yet, can run minutes faster than the best marathoners in the history of time. It also puts... That raises questions. You get... Maybe. Oh, I sh don't want to be the one speculating. No, nope. probably we don't, don't speculate. You but... probably don't get tested nearly as much when you're not competing. Well, that's true as well. So anyway, our point here is this is an incredible feat and all props to Asafa for doing the thing on the day. We have our concerns and celebrate with a bit of reduced I... sublime. In our I don't want to miss celebrating the moment. So let's talk about some of her <laughs> splits, which were absolutely incredible. Her first half was 66-20, and then she picked it up for the second half and ran 65-33 for her second half of the marathon. This yeah. is 501 pace. Well, it's important to note, everyone's talking about the average, 501 average, but that means she ran under five-minute pace for the whole second half on average. <laughs> And 5K splits, including things like 1530, 1520, 15 teens, repeatedly accelerating. So brutal race here. Just just an insane execution. And so when you're on world record pace in the first half and then you accelerate further, that's that shows some some pizzazz, among other things. So she also, by the way, won the race by um, six minutes. 
I'm trying to do the math in my head because I didn't put it right in front of me. Five and a half minutes. Uh, so it was it was certainly a strong race, but you could say the field behind her wasn't quite as strong as the Berlin Marathon sometimes is, and yet it was super deep. I don't know exactly what the number is, but a large number of women ran under 220 mm. in this one race, which has not happened that's very cool. often. So that's impressive. On the men's side, the king of the marathon, Eli Kipchoge, added another win to his streak of majors. He has also won the Berlin Marathon more than anyone else in the history of time. As of now, this race, this puts him ahead of everybody else, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You, you know he loves Berlin. He set the world record in Berlin twice. Twice? Or did he do it? No, yeah, twice. And so he loves the race. He did go out in world record pace. Yeah, that's what they're going for. I guess he had four pacers, and it was just him and the pacers by 5K. Yeah, that's actually kind of interesting that because that doesn't usually happen. Um, usually you get a few people who are willing to give it a whirl and mm. see how long they last. His first half was in 60 minutes and 22 seconds, which is the fastest opening half, first half. Except for his world record last year. Right, which was 59.51 from 2022. <laughs> o- opening in a sub one hour first half. That was just bold, although this wasn't that far off it. So we'll give it to him. Bold is Kipchoge's middle name, I think. Mm-hmm. So he did that. Um, he faded, lost a couple of minutes in the second half, but still won the race in 2.02.42, a good solid 30 mm-hmm. seconds ahead of second place. The second and third place men were both debuts. Yeah, which is <laughs> awesome. So you, you run the Berlin Marathon, your first ever marathon, and you finish top three. That's not bad. But not when bad. two of them do it, it's even more uncanny impressive. So for second, we had Kenya's Vincent Kipkemoy, who ran a 59.09 personal best at the Copenhagen half last year. All right. And so he opens up then his first ever marathon in a 203.13, which is not the fastest debut ever. That's shocking. Very nearly. I think I'm trying to remember. We were, we were reporting on this stat recently. Oh, was it the guy who won the London marathon? I don't think that was his debut, but he might have oh. the fastest debut. Okay. The guy who won the London Marathon and almost broke Kipchoge's world record. Mm. Yeah. Um, no. So anyway, this is very nearly one of the fastest debuts ever. But the the guy in second runs 203.13. Nine seconds later, another debutante runs Tedesi Tekele of Ethiopia runs 203.24. Mm. For his first. He has a 59.41 half marathon personal best from last year. So both of them have run really fast halves. So it's not surprising that they were great at this distance too. Not at all surprising. Um, Just, you know, goes to show that uh, you don't have to be a veteran marathoner to put together a good race. Mm -hmm. Although the veterans like Kipchoge (laughs) tend to be able to win them as well. So Mm -hmm. you, you have that. Very exciting. So Berlin Marathon, always fast. Uh, well, I guess not always. Insofar as the weather isn't some kind of extreme, then it's fast. Um, and just always an interesting level of competition internationally. There were a number of Americans in the race as well. Didn't fare super well. Uh, but the point I want to make is as far as how the depth of fields, the 2024 Olympic standards in the marathon, if you recall, we've talked about this briefly in the past. They were released about a year ago. So it's been around for a while that people have known this. But they're crazy fast. The men's marathon standard, the world standard for the Olympics, is 208.10, which is, you know, like how many people have run that fast 
ever and <laughs> not many so it, that's crazy and then the women's standard is 226.50 which is also just insanely fast these are both minutes faster than the last olympics qualifying standard now keeping in mind this is deliberate because they don't want very many people to run the time they want most people qualifying for the olympics based off world rankings which means you don't have to have some kind of crazy fast time you just have to have a few good finishes in some international races so can you get points for your ranking like doing halves or do you have to do all marathons for the marathon i think you can earn points in the half but i don't know exactly how this one works in particular so most distances have a comparable um associated distance like if you were a 1500 meter runner you can also run mile races and they count but i don't know exactly how it works with road racing because it's it it's so all over the place the point there is your marathon ranking which primarily comes from marathon races, even if it's somewhat influenced by other distances, um, that's the thing that's going to get you into the Olympics, mm -hmm. not running the time. There will be a, a handful of people who will get in on the time. In this instance, Berlin Marathon, one of the fastest in the world, which is where I was going with this, one of the fastest races in the world every year, and you had 15 men run the qualifying... Oh, no, no, actually it was 16. 16 men ran that qualifying standard, which is, you could say, oh, that's a lot in one race. Yeah, but in other races, usually it's like three or four. So mm. Berlin's just that, it just tends to be that much faster um, and faster in terms of depth. And so what's interesting is there's actually at number 15, there's a major cutoff. And so the 15th finisher in the Berlin Marathon was just under 206, and the 16th finisher was just over 208. So it's two minutes apart. And yet the rest of those places were all close together. So mad props to the guy who finished 16th because he ran 20809 getting the Olympic standard by one second. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That's always exciting. I bet he was very happy. I imagine so. And very the... tired because he probably <laughs> saw that clock and gave it everything he had. I'm, I have no doubt. <laughs> Just don't fall down. Don't fall Finish, down. cross the line. Well, on the women's side, this is what's so fascinating. On the women's side, it was exactly the same numbers. 15 okay. women or maybe 16 women right under the standard. Hmm. Um, so that world standard was intended to limit the field size to about 80 in the men's and women's races. And so if you get 16 from Berlin in one year, and you, of course, you know that some of those were already qualified. Um, yeah, there's a good chance that uh, 80 sounds about right. There might be 80 people who can run that time in the entire so. world. Might be. Hmm. I don't yeah. know for sure. I haven't done the numbers, but either way, it's fast. We have done the numbers about the road racing circuit, which we'll get to after sharing with you the results of the USATF 10K championships. All right. Clayton Young, who we've had on the podcast before, I like to mention that. He was our victor once more. This is now his third three victory on the road racing circuit, oh, which guy. is dominant because nice work, there's no one else who has won three races on the men's or the women's side. True. He beat out Willie Fink. And Leonard Career. All right. So those were our second and third place men. And then Wayne Kalati had a dominant win over Edna Kurgit, who has the. Oh, I have yeah, we'll come back later. To that. Okay. <laughs> Who's doing well in the standings? Yeah, okay. All right. So I think actually we're ready to do that. Yeah, okay. So uh, Young and Kalati, congrats on the victories there. Um, for Clayton Young, this is a very important one, in fact, because as we've mentioned, he's been climbing the standings with three victories. And I think his fourth, he's only run four of them. His fourth was a second place finish, wasn't it? Oh, I didn't look. I don't closely. recall, but it's close to that. Um, I could actually do the math in my head. It was a second place finish. Okay. So 
he's one he's he's won three and, and finished second in one which is incredible numbers and yet even with that wasn't enough points to catch leonard career who with one race left in the circuit we we should mention there's one race left the 5k championships remains and leonard career has enough of a point lead that he could get no more points and clayton young could get all the more points and career would still win so leonard career has the circuit in the bag um he's he's got by far the most prize money on the circuit this year which is all great but he also doesn't win very many races he won one this whole the 25k circuit. championships and yes. i got my picture with him it was very exciting but this is the key so he's he's not the guy who's winning every race in fact clayton young happens to be the guy winning most of them right now but career didn't need to win all the races he just needed to finish well and that's what he does he finishes in the top three almost every single time he races and so as a result he's going to win the raid the road circuit which is comes with its own additional prize money, which is great. That's always fun. Um, and Clayton Young's got uh, a pretty decent shot at uh, second place there. He is, oh, what are the numbers? Um, he needs a handful of more points to guarantee second place. So if he runs the 5K championship and finishes in the top like seven, then he's mm. in for sure. Um, and if not, third and fourth are pretty tight and they're not far behind him. So if BS Mbasa and Jacob Thompson have any more races left they're running the 5k they're duking it out for third in the standings i'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit oh because i just thought of a question oh do leonard career and clayton young have the olympic standard in what the marathon well clayton young doesn't run marathons i would imagine that both would be looking at that i mean young Young has not run a marathon Mm, okay well no leonard career (laughs) does leonard career does not have the olympic standard but he um he doesn't need it if he if he can finish well in the trials he can go i don't know if he's planning on doing the trials again this year well i'm assuming so but i don't know i would think so so on the women's side yes the uh standings actually have a similar kind of remonstrance to the men's side which is edna kurgat on top of the standings far and away beating everyone else no one can catch her in one race left in the season matter of fact no one's been able to catch her for a few races now Mm -hmm. she had enough of a point lead um and you can see that in, in that particular race, she finished second to Wayne Kalati. Uh, Wayne Kalati, though, hasn't run very many races on the circuit. So that wasn't a, that wasn't a point situation that mattered for Kurgat's lead at all. So she will, uh, with five top three finishes. As a matter of fact, if I'm remembering this correctly, Edna Kurgat has never finished worse than third on the road circuit. Hmm. That's some solid consistency. Very impressive work. I would say so. Yep. And then second behind her with a chunk of points behind is Nell Rojas. But Nell Rojas hasn't raced in a while. We don't know exactly why. The assumption here is she she may be hurt. Or she's just looking at the trials. Could be. She is. But she hasn't raced in quite a long while. (laughs) But yeah, she could be. Um, Point is, she's in second, but she's only one point ahead of third. Oh, yeah. And so if, uh, who is it? Emma Hurley runs the 5K championships and finishes in the top 10. She secures a, th- a top Unless three spot. Unless Nell also runs and beats her. True. <laughs> if Nell Rojas actually does have another race planned for the season, mm-hmm. um, we'll see. But uh, it, Emma Hurley is definitely gunning for that second place finish. Either way, those are your top three currently in the standings. And I noticed, and I love this, that Rojas and Hurley, neither one of them have won mm, any yes. of the races, yet they're in the top three in the standings. And I like that because that means that they're showing up. And they're doing well consistently, mm-hmm. even without a win. 
Yeah, let me give you this. I'm just going to pull up the page here so I can tell you this accurately. Um, how many different women have won races on the USATF circuit this year? One, two, three. I'm counting how many races. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, there are 11 races in the circuit. All right, this year. That does, they don't always have the same distances every year. But um, 11 races in the circuit this year. And of the 11 races, Edna Kurgat has won two. And I, and I think that's the most any one person. So Emily Sisson has also won two. But you've got the two of them with some victories. And then we start going down the list. And it's like, oh, look at that. Here's another person. Alephine Tulimak won one. She won the half marathon. And Wayne Kalati won one. We just shared that one with you. And Betsy Sena. Kellen Taylor and Betsy Sena and Sarah Hall and Nikki Hiltz. And, and you just, the list goes on. It's like, wow, so many different people have won races in the women's standings. That is uncommon. It's kind of mm-hmm. neat. But it also is a testament to the nature of the thing because the U.S. road circuit, it's not just roads, the U.S. circuit is all distances and it includes a cross-country race, the U.S. championships. So you've got cross-country, half marathons, one-mile races, 5Ks, 25Ks, just all sorts of stuff. And that's what kind of makes it cool is the standings don't reflect who can do the most of everything. It more reflects who has the most diverse racing prowess. Mm-hmm. You don't have to win stuff. You just have to finish well in a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... I love that they do it this way because it shows like who's the most well-rounded runner yeah. almost. Like you have to be yeah. fit to be able to do all of those things. So your fitness has to be there, but I I like it. It's a game. Yeah. Very cool. Well, speaking of games, actually it has nothing to do with games. My transitions are terrible, terrible today. I had nothing to say about games, but that's about all we have to share with you right now. Now I did want to mention that we teased talking about biosensors in our introduction and didn't get to it today. But I want to just let you know that we are spending a bit of time right now exploring biosensors more, trying to learn a little bit more about them, trying to even find some guests for you for the podcast, some experts who work with the equipment. And so we're going to work on that. Even if we can't find the guests in the near future, we'll keep going that direction because we find that many of you have been talking about biosensor stuff as you know dates all the way back to like the heart rate monitors right those are biosensors but then you've got the blood sugar monitors you've got the the blood or not the blood the sweat content monitors and all the stuff that whoop does which is a whole bunch of different things so we want to tell you more and we want to learn more about it and share our experiences that includes by the way i've been testing one in particular myself lately and i'll be sharing some of that with you too Mm. And all of this is to say, this episode marks the final episode of the fourth year of the A to Z Running Podcast. And so the next time you hear us talking into your ear places, it'll be the fifth year of airing our voices into the <laughs> interwebs. Awesome. It's been a long time. Is that, is that a good thing? I, or is... I mean, I'm glad for it. We've had an episode every single week. We've shown up every single week. There was one week we took it down because we were bickering. We didn't want to, you know. Oh, you want to bring that up again? <laughs> we didn't want to keep that airing, although I've had many people reach out and said, oh, that yeah. it was a good episode. Fighting um, <laughs> on air is just what married people do, Andy. <laughs> I don't think that's a normal thing. Mm. All I have to say, we want to keep showing up for you. So please send us your questions so we know what you like to hear. That's great. That's exactly right. We want to talk about the stuff that's on your mind more than the stuff that's on our mind. 
And so share your questions. Go to azrunning.com slash question or jump on the socials and interact with us there and we'll keep the content lively for Mm -hmm. you. Thank you all for joining us and we'll talk to you next week.